Welcome to the Horror Babble Originals podcast. Grandma's Cabinet by Gary Gordon Antique display cabinets, also known as antique china cabinets, are a type of cupboard with glazed panel doors used to display choice ornaments and pieces of fine china. These cabinets are derived from the 18th century bookcase, being similar in form. In the 19th century, it became fashionable to display your fine objects and decorative china. As a result, the traditional display cabinet became a piece of furniture in its own right. Nineteenth-century Victorian and Edwardian display cabinets were most commonly made of mahogany or oak, with many of the former having a mirrored back, which served to highlight ornaments during a time when the primary form of illumination was candlelight. The antique display cabinet is an exceptionally fine, delicate-looking item of furniture, built to the highest of standards, with interiors often lined in beautiful blue or red velvet. It is pertinent to note that many of these cabinets featured small brass locks and keys, serving to secure contents of high personal, if not monetary, value. Kindrogan, Perthshire, Scotland Christmas Day, 1981, 5.30pm The snow was coming down hard outside. In fact, it was the heaviest snowfall this part of Scotland had seen since records began. Morag Mackenzie stared into her small whisky glass. It was empty. Then, without thought, she turned her head to the right and gazed with almost hateful scorn at the display cabinet, positioned no more than three feet away. She hated that cabinet, ever since the day it was bequeathed to her by her late grandmother, or Granny, as Morag used to call her. She stretched out a leg and heftily kicked the front door of the cabinet, cracking one of the glass panels in the process. The cabinet served to do nothing but remind Morag of the constant cups of Awful, overly strong tea that Granny used to make when she and her mother visited. The tea was always brewed for what seemed like an eternity inside one of her fine china teapots, all of which now had taken up residency in the cabinet. Morag shifted in her worn wooden rocking chair and hauled herself to her feet. She looked around the living room, her eighty-odd-year-old eyes squinting through the misty lenses of her spectacles. "'Now where did I put that wee bottle?' Morag mused to herself, whilst making her way into the centre of the small room, one hand on her hip, and the other scratching at her temple. "'Ah!' Morag exclaimed heartily. Slowly, she made her way across the room to the sideboard, on which sat the offending bottle of malt. Grabbing the spirit strongly by the neck, Morag let out a yelp of unbridled joy. "'There you are, my wee bonnie.' Morag returned to the chair and sat down sluggishly. Bottle still in hand, she glanced to her left at the table that accommodated the whisky glass only to see it had been replaced by, to her shock and bemusement, a small china milk jug. "'Och, my heed's mince!' Morag exclaimed, looking back at the half-full whisky bottle. 
Her eyes returned to the table. This time the glass was back in its place, and the vision of the milk jug was gone, consigned to memory. Morag poured herself another dram and slammed it hard down her throat. Slumping back in the chair, she adjusted the cushion at the side of her head, closed her eyes, and fell into a deep, alcohol-induced sleep. Suddenly, there was a loud bang. The sound of someone knocking at the window had roused Morag from her slumber, or at least that's what she thought. Dozily, Morag looked toward the window. Seeing nothing, she tried to decide whether or not it was worth the effort of getting up to take a peek outside. She raised her creaking frame, thought for a moment, then slumped back down with a colossal sigh. Then Morag heard a quiet, chinking noise. It sounded like glass and crockery brushing against one another. She glanced to her left. Once again, the whiskey glass was gone, this time replaced with a small china saucer and teacup. "'Will you bugger off with that?' Morag blurted. There was anger in her tone, coupled with notes of nervousness and confusion. The knocking sound came again, and this time she pinpointed its source. It was coming from the cabinet. Steadily, Morag turned her head and stared at the cabinet. There, sitting on the middle shelf, was her whiskey glass, but there was no sign of anything having made the knocking sound. Oh, I must be drunk. Morag leaned over and turned the small brass key that was resting snugly inside the lock. She opened the panel door and reached in toward the whiskey glass. As she did so, she felt something tugging at the threadbare sock covering her left foot. Looking down, she saw that her sock was caught on a rusty spring that was poking out from beneath the chair. Abandoning the retrieval of the glass temporarily, she reached down to unsnag the sock. It was then that she heard the distinct rattle of ice inside the glass on the shelf. Morag glanced quickly to her left, and lo and behold, the whiskey glass was once again in its rightful place on the small table beside the chair. Okay, Morag sighed loudly, as though addressing an invisible person. Opening both palms of her hands, she placed them either side of her aching head and pushed hard. This is getting ridiculous, she muttered. Abruptly, a howling wind filled the room, accompanied by a smattering of unusually large snowflakes, which were moving in Morag's direction. Her brother, Alistair, entered the cottage. Then, after a short battle with the wind and snow, the unexpected guest eventually managed to close the door. "'Happy Christmas, Morag,' he bellowed. "'How are you?' "'What are you doing here?' Morag yelled with irritation. "'I was just on my way back from Archie's house. Thought I'd pop in and see how you're holding up in the storm.' Oh, "'I'm fine,' she said, calming a bit. "'I've been having a wee bit of bother with this bloody cabinet of Granny's door. "'Aye?' Alistair replied with a raised eyebrow. "'Aye,' Morag confirmed. She shifted uneasily in the chair, her face crumpled in a meaningful frown. Granny, Alistair said, his face a mask of confusion. What makes you say that? Just some odd wee things happening tonight, Alistair. One minute my drink is here, the next it's in the cabinet. I don't know what's going on. 
Never had too much to drink? Oh, I don't know. Alistair frowned. He was teetotal, hadn't touched a drop of alcohol in over thirty years, ever since his doctor politely informed him that his liver was turning into a shriveled sack. He was well aware of his sister's problem with the drink, and so, living nearby in the village, felt it his duty to drop in on Morag every few days or so. "'Let's give the drama rest for tonight, eh?' he suggested, and proceeded to grab the grubby whiskey glass from the table in front of her. The storm outside was raging, and the snow was getting deeper. After chatting for an hour or so, Alistair bid Morag goodbye, and disappeared down the road into the howling night. Climbing from her seat, Morag decided it was time for bed, but before she turned toward the staircase— she scowled at the cabinet in the corner, and once again kicked out at it, cracking a second glass panel as she did so. "'Good night to you, Granny,' she yelled, with a hint of anger and disdain. It was a short while later that Morag slowly opened her tired, wrinkly eyes. The faint smell of stale tobacco had roused her from a deep slumber, and, she recalled shudderingly, that Granny used to store her tobacco in one of the china teapots residing in the cabinet. There was no mistaking the aroma. Rattrays, a blend created by Charles Rattray of Perth back in 1911. Granny swore by it, and smoked it in a pipe for most of her adult life, the habit probably contributing to her untimely death at sixty-odd. Morag immediately reached up and fumbled for the light cord. She couldn't find it. The smell grew stronger and stronger as she waved her hands around in the pitch darkness. Panic began to set in. Her heart was pounding as the odor intensified. She swore she could hear the exhaling of contaminated air and smoke from old, damaged lungs. Then, just as she was about to scream out in blind terror, her hands located the sought-after string— and she pulled it with relief and gusto. On came the light, with a dazzling bright glare. The stench disappeared as quickly as the light bulb illuminated. Morag squinted and rubbed her eyes, allowing a few seconds for the room to come into focus. There was nothing there. No ghostly apparition of her grandmother. No tobacco-filled pipe. The only movement was from her elderly black cat, Millie, quietly licking her paw whilst lying atop the chest of drawers at the end of the bed. Millie looked at Morag quizzically, as if to say, "'Why are you waking me up at this hour?' The cat, of course, thought nothing of the sort. The old girl scratched her ear vigorously, before curling up and nestling her head in the frumpy brown pillow which was her bed. Morag sighed with much irritation, pulling the light cord once more. Then, just as Millie had done, buried her head in her own pillow. The remainder of the night passed without incident. Soft sunlight filtered through the scattered layer of yellowish clouds. The snowfall had ceased for the time being, and the appearance of a dimly shining sun was enough to take the chill from the air, and to allow for a pleasant Boxing Day morning. But it wasn't long before the peaceful scene was shattered. Suddenly, 
The house was filled with a clattering, banging, smashing noise. The racket moved closer and closer toward the front door, which suddenly and quickly swung inwards, crashing hard against the inner wall of the vestibule. "'Out you go!' Morag yelled. She was in her long brown dressing gown and battered matching slippers, her long white hair tied into a long bedraggled plait, messy and falling about her face. She was dragging behind her the cabinet. Plates, cups, and teapots crashed together, most of which broke into pieces, with one or two, miraculously, remaining intact. Morag reached the front gate. Letting go of the cabinet, she began to fiddle with the latch. "'Come on, for Christ's sake!' she barked in extreme irritation, before the gate eventually yielded to her efforts. Idiotically, Morag attempted to lift the entire cabinet with both arms, struggled severely, then fell backwards. The cabinet narrowly missed her fragile frame as it came toppling down, and then, owing to the slope of the street and the layer of ice that coated it, went sliding down into the road. At exactly this moment, Morag's brother Alistair, out for a morning ride, came around the bend on his beloved Triumph Tiger 110 motorcycle. Slamming on his brakes at the sight of the cabinet, Alistair's bike immediately fell onto its side, trapping him beneath it, as both he and the bike flew headlong into the runaway heirloom. Morag stared in dismay, a splintered wood and shards of glass spewed across the road. Granny's cabinet was reduced to a thousand pieces, surrounding both the motorcycle and the motionless, battered form of Alistair. All that could be heard was the sound of the triumph's spluttering engine. It, too, looked worse for wear. Then, slowly but surely, the poorly gritted road, formerly white with the recent snowfall, began to turn red. Later The room was extremely bright, Morag thought. It was almost as bright as the day outside. Hospital rooms always seemed like this. Morag looked at Alistair. He was sat up, covered in an array of equally bright white bandages, his left leg hoisted upright in a strong-looking white cast. "'You were lucky, lad,' she said. "'I'm so, so sorry.' Alistair didn't have the energy to reply. He just nodded softly, smiled weakly, and mouthed the words, "'It's okay.' Having caught the bus home, Morag climbed wearily off at her stop and trudged through the snow. Nearing the house, she came face to face with the remains of the cabinet. Immediately after the accident, aided by a helpful policeman, she had gathered the bits and pieces from the road and had placed them in front of her garden wall, a pile of broken wood, glass, and shattered crockery. "'Well, I don't think I'll be touching that lot,' she mumbled angrily, before bypassing the wreck and heading into the cottage. The snowstorm of the night before returned with a vengeance, so, after bolting the door, she pulled across the heavy paisley curtain to keep some of the cold out. "'That should keep you nasty wee winds at bay,' she exclaimed, staring confidently at the curtain. As she turned and shuffled away, the bottom of the curtain pushed slightly inward, 
as though nudged by a small draught from without, a slight but affirmative nudge, as though lifted from above by an invisible force. Morag made her way into the kitchen. She needed a drink. As she did, the sudden sensation of being closely followed caused the hair on her neck to stand on end, and her body to issue a brief tremor from top to bottom. She immediately whirled around. Nothing. Then she noticed the curtain behind the door. It was beginning to flutter somewhat erratically now. Well, I need to get that bloody door fixed, Morag blurted with an aggravated scowl on her face. Without warning, the door flung itself wide open, defeated by the wind and snow that had now gained access to the living room. In the process, the curtain was unhitched from the rail and was hurled, it and the broken pieces of cabinet that had been dumped unceremoniously against the front garden wall, into the living room. Morag gawped with her mouth wide open in sheer confusion, fright, and disbelief. In a weird turn of events, the bequeathed remains had found themselves re-established in the precise spot from which Morag had dragged the cabinet that very morning. As the wind howled and the snowflakes danced around the room, the individual pieces began to move, slowly at first. Morag assumed it was just the strength of the wind— the open door banged relentlessly against the adjacent wall. The curtain, which had been blown onto the floor into the centre of the room, was being gradually engulfed in a blanket of snow. Morag, still in her coat, pulled the collar up around her neck, tightened her drab brown scarf, and started for the door, battling against the wind as she did so. But behind her, something very strange was happening— in the corner of the room, the pieces of china, glass, and wood, scattered as they were, began to come together, pieces creeping, shards crawling. The fragments produced a quiet, chinking, clicking sound as they merged, gradually and deliberately repositioning themselves. The cabinet was reassembling itself. Meanwhile, Morag was grappling with the heavy door— she grabbed it by both the handle and the side simultaneously, pulling and struggling with it as the storm without replied with equal valiance. To her rear, the cabinet and its crockery continued to rebuild itself. Wood joined with wood, glass melded with glass, cups and saucers, teapots, china jugs, everything the cabinet was home to before its untimely demise— was remade, and the cabinet itself, now wholly restored, stood tall and proud, an air of strange resolve emanating from it. Presently, the heavy front door flung shut with a resounding slam. Morag had won the battle. Leaning her head against the cold wood, she breathed a huge sigh of relief. But her relief was short-lived. The atmosphere about her seemed to change. She was overcome by a tremendous sense of unease. Once more, her heartbeat increased, only moments after recovering from her efforts with the reluctant door. Without knowing why, Morag was afraid to turn around, afraid to confront the source of her apprehension. 
Overcoming her uncertainty, she spun around and scanned the room. Immediately, she focused on a dark shape coming down the open staircase to the right of her. It was Millie, her beloved, ancient, and scruffy black cat. Down the stairs the creature bounded, with investigative haste, trotted past Morag, and proceeded to the opposite corner of the room. In a single leap, Millie launched herself onto the top of Granny's cabinet. There it stood, the dreaded heirloom, fully reformed, free of blemishes, gleaming along with its contents, as if it and they were completely brand new. Morag, mesmerized, gazed at the cabinet with Millie atop it, her wide eyes darting back and forth between the two. She glanced at her hands, then around the room from side to side. "'Oh, there must be a bottle of whiskey somewhere,' she muttered under her breath. "'Did you drink it, Millie?' Morag just couldn't accept what her eyes were seeing, and though she couldn't quite recall if she had had a drink or not, she automatically assumed that alcohol was the cause of the cruel illusion before her. But Morag hadn't been drinking. She thought briefly about where she had been, the hospital to see Alistair. Then she'd returned by bus, without stopping at any shops for whiskey on the route back home. She remembered walking past the pile of smashed-up cabinet by the front wall, through the front gate, through the front door, into the living room. She recalled walking toward the kitchen with the intention of getting a drink, but then the door. The door made me turn around. I didn't get a drink. Morag snapped herself from her thoughts, and stared once again at the reassembled cabinet. Oh, dear! Her voice quivered quietly, and then, all of a sudden, she felt a strange pressure against her entire body. Morag fell backwards to the floor, as her legs were lifted by something she couldn't see. Her face filled with terror, as she was dragged slowly across the floor toward the cabinet. It was the fallen curtain that had her. She reached out her wrinkly hand and grappled with the drape, only to have it slip away from her, leaving in its wake a handful of fresh, icy snow. Slowly, menacingly, the door of the cabinet began to open. Morag's eyes widened in anguish and terror as she moved ever closer to the opening. The crockery within began to shake and vibrate, causing Millie to leap from her position atop it, fleeing upstairs. With shocking abruptness, the shaking and the noise ceased. Blackness enveloped Morag. Nothing was visible. Was she in bed? Had she been having a terrible and seemingly very real nightmare? Morag was numb. All was still. She made a conscious effort to reach out for her bedside lamp, but, bizarrely, she seemed to be incapable of movement. She was consciously aware of herself, but that didn't seem to matter. Her physical self was non-existent. With a mouth that wasn't there, Morag attempted to scream, to give life to her terror and confusion, but nothing could or would be heard, either by herself or by anyone else, for that matter. One week later. Adjusting his crutches, 
Alistair pushed with difficulty at Morag's garden gate, before at last managing to topple the pile of snow that had rested behind it. He then trudged slowly through several inches of the staff in order to reach Morag's front door. Upon opening the door, he immediately encountered Millie, who instantaneously charged to freedom without so much as a purr or even a passing glance. Alistair peered into the dark and silent cottage. Morag? he called softly. No reply was forthcoming. Morag? This time he raised his voice, crossing the threshold as he did so. Still, the house returned no response. As he glanced casually around the living room, he thought to himself, I've never seen it so tidy. Alistair chuckled, and then limped his way over to Morag's chair, stationed next to Grandma's cabinet. Sitting down, he looked at the small table to his left. There, sat in the centre of the table, was a small glass filled with an amber-coloured liquid. Whiskey, Alistair stated very matter-of-factly. But in the shadows, deep in the interminable blackness, Morag stared into the void. How long she'd been there, waiting, gazing, she didn't, couldn't know. And then something began to change. Gradually, an image formed before her. It was too blurry to make out at first, but before long, as her vision began to clear, the full, awful horror of what had happened to her became terrifyingly apparent. Morag was trapped, imprisoned by a pane of glass, glass decorated with crossed, thin strips of lead. She was inside Granny's cabinet. No, it was worse than that. Morag had become the cabinet. Again, with a mouth that had long since departed, she tried to scream. But it was futile. All she could do was watch from her wooden prison as Alistair, against all his instincts, took a sip of her beautiful rat-tray's blend of fine Perthshire Scotch whisky. Happy New Year, Morag, wherever you are. Alistair raised the glass, then placed it back on the table. But just as he was about to get up, he heard a noise. Looking back at the table, he was surprised to see that the whisky glass was no longer there. In its place was a small china milk jug, just like one from the cabinet, Grandma's cabinet. Hello, ladies and gents, Ian here. Be sure to pop on over to our YouTube channel or Facebook page for regular updates. If you'd like to support our work, please consider taking a look at our Patreon or Bandcamp pages, or search for us on Audible. You'll find links to everything on our website, horrorbabble.com forward slash links.